HSD are experts in delivering tech solutions to the vet sector, working with clients such as the Department of Education, Skills and Employment, ASQA and the VRQA. HSD understand the complexities of VET, its systems and data. We specialise in systems integration, customer relationship management systems, Microsoft platforms and migrating organisations to the cloud. So whether you're looking for advice on integrating your systems, meeting your data reporting requirements or looking to gain insights into your stakeholders, HSD are here to help. Visit hsd.com.au or follow us on LinkedIn. Field and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector, episode 78. And this week, I spoke with Wendy Palmer, Director of Deakin University's Global Studio. We recorded this a little while ago, so huge apologies for not getting it out to you sooner. It's just been a really busy time. If you're interested in short courses, innovation, online TE, and Australia's success, not to mention Deakin's success, then I think you'll really enjoy my conversation with Wendy. If you don't know her, you'll find she's a very understated, deeply impressive woman with an infectious love. She's also got incredible experience that she brings to her current role, including working with the ANZ Bank, setting up corporate learning in Bangalore in India, averaging 6 million completions a year. When she moved to Deakin University, she worked with the wonderful Professor Beverly Oliver to help set up Deakin's first MOOC. And in this conversation with me, she she shares research that Deakin's undertaken with their partners FutureLearn on the lifelong learning pathways from the 750,000 free short course enrolments Deakin has had on FutureLearn through to learners subsequently enrolling in Deakin's courses. I think those of you working in this space uh, will find Wendy's insights really helpful. And if you're involved in online T&E or looking to be, Wendy also has many insights to share there as well, including the 250,000 enrolments in their short courses during COVID, supported by Austrade's Study with Australia initiative. And finally, on a personal note, a big thank you to all of the people who took me aside at the Texa conference this week to share that you listened to the podcast and how much you enjoy it. It was lovely to meet so many of you. But now, enough from me. Here's Wendy. Very great pleasure for me to be sitting down, albeit virtually, um, to speak today with Wendy Palmer. Wendy is the director of Deakin's Global Studio. And our paths have crossed a few times, and I do have questions that I'm keen to, to ask Wendy and find out more about what she does. And happily, uh, listeners can uh, find out too as we go along. So, Wendy, welcome and thank you for, for joining me. Pleasure to be here. I always start off by asking my guests to talk a bit about themselves, their careers and their current role, A, because I find it interesting and B, because I think it gives useful insights into other answers that that you share. So why don't you start off there? Excellent. Um, 
I started in learning about 30 years ago. And when I started, I was working with an organizational development company, very much in corporate training. And uh, I laughed because, you know, I used to travel around with a bag of overhead slides, textures, flip chart paper, and it was all very face-to-face learning. But um, at that company, they did a lot of face-to-face learning, um, and one of it was around time management, and I became really interested as things like Outlook and Lotus Notes came out, how you could apply those principles uh, in a digitally enabled environment, if you like. So I actually got into digital learning through translating uh, their their teaching around time management and and, and work practices into using digital. I spent about 10 years there and then I progressed on, I actually undertook a master's in uh, virtual communication and wound up with a job at ANZ when right back at the start of this century, that sounds recent, but it's actually quite a while ago. (laughs) And uh, what I was focusing on there was the, they uh, had a whole lot of um, online courses but they were one of the early adopters and so it was about developing standards, standardised ways of doing it. And I had a really, really fascinating opportunity there to move through lots of different areas. So I started looking at the content. I then took over managing their LMS and then actually got an opportunity to set up their global learning infrastructure in Bangalore. So very much focused on big systems, big processes, big data. Uh, You know, they did, what, 6 million compliance completions a year. So (laughs) it uh, it was a lot of digital learning. Um, After that, I finished up there and then started at the university. So I've actually been fortunate enough to progress from uh, consulting practice through to corporate on the other side of the fence to consulting and now uh, nearly 10 years in an academic environment. And again, started in Deakin's corporate arm, very much focused on digitisation of their corporate learning and then worked with Beverly Oliver to set up Deakin's first MOOC back in about 2014 and uh, at that stage, it was all, everyone was doing everything. And so we decided to not, in, not only make a MOOC, but we also made a MOOC platform. And it was actually with an Australian company, Janison. Oh, and um, yeah, and it was very, it was very successful, but we realised quite quickly that when you build your own MOOC platform, it's a very lonely experience. <laughs> and a couple of years after that, we started work with FutureLearn, one of the, the big global marketplaces put our degrees onto there and that was a project that I led for about three years, degrees at FutureLearn, and that's now morphed into Global Studio. And our remit is looking at um, emerging markets and emerging models with very much a focus on digital. So basically, if it's not a degree, we probably have a look at it. (laughs) (laughs) And and the idea is, is that it's really about... Um, keeping keeping across what's happening in the external environment, bringing that back into Deakin, but also then looking at what is Deakin's position on it? How does Deakin respond to that? I mean, Deakin have had a long, long history in digital or um, remote learning and very much sort of in digital learning. So it was just a great opportunity to, to extend on that and build on a lot of the work that was already being done. And uh, that pretty much brings me up to where I am now, which is one of the projects I'm leading is the um, stackable uh, stackable short courses, which is Deakin's credit-bearing micro-credentials. 
And as I think, you know, all everyone will probably know micro-credentials are really gathering steam at the moment. They most certainly are. And in fact, we've, uh, in the, you know, times that we've uh, chatted briefly, we've, you know, been talking about future of learning, how it's changing, and the growing rise of shorter forms of learning, obviously micro-credentials being, being one of them. And now you've got data that you've been gathering for a number of years on uh, research and data on short and long forms of learning. What does it show? Uh, yes, so that what we've been working on is whilst we've had all our MOOCs on FutureLearn, we've been one of the questions we were wanting to to look at is is a short course a pathway into a longer a longer course of learning and do people move between short form learning and longer form learning and what does that look like if you, particularly from a, a lifelong learning point of view and it's actually quite interesting because on these big platforms you don't actually have um, an individual relationship with the learners. The learners are held by the platform. So FutureLearn, uh, they're the ones that hold the customer. But we wanted to see, did those customers come across to Deakin? And so we were able to take all the data from FutureLearn. We've had about I think, close to 750,000 enrolments in our short courses on FutureLearn. And then we compared them with various forms of data at the university, whether it be leads, uh, whether it be applications or enrolments. And we we had to do it all through um, hashed anonymized emails. So the data is not particularly precise in the sense that people could use multiple emails or they might have used different emails on different platforms. But what we were looking for is did people move from one form of learning to the other and was there movement? And we found some really fascinating things. We we when we started, and especially when we put degrees onto FutureLearn, there was a, a sort of a hypothesis that someone would do a short course, and that would then lead into a subject that was linked to that short course, and that would then lead into a degree that was linked to that short course. Uh, we did actually see quite a lot of movement, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. But what we didn't see was a linear progression. <laughs> we very much, it was very obvious quite quickly when we started looking at the data that the people who were on FutureLearn also showed up at Deakin, but they showed up all over the place. They showed up in undergraduate, they showed up postgraduate, uh, they showed up um, on campus, in the, in the cloud, online learning, international domestic. There was no... There was no real clear that led to that. And what was quite fascinating was just seeing the number of different, the number of different journeys and pathways. Uh, we also saw quite quickly that one of the one of the most common um, examples is someone doing a free open course and then coming in as a lead. And we were able to do a bit of analysis on leads, and, and often those leads stopped. And one of the things that that uh, did sort of indicate is it's a really, really big jump from a free open course or a MOOC, you know, to a master's. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, people don't go, oh, look, I'm doing something for free and it takes me six weeks. And now my next logical step is to embark on two years of learning at a, at a much higher price point. So what we did see, but what we did see is that people showing up two, three years later, so we talked about, um, so the way in which we tried to analyse the data is we said, when did people show up in which data set and call that an event? Mm -hmm. And so we were looking at 
where did we see people if the first event was a free open course? So the first time they showed up on the data, we saw them at FutureLearn. We then did see them come in as leads, applications and enrolments. But in many cases, uh, when we first did it back in 2000, we saw only a couple of only a few hundred, whereas now we're seeing many more. And part of that is that it's actually quite a slow burn. <laughs> in many cases, it was either very quick, and that was where we at Deakin, if someone had done a lead, we sent them out to future learn as part of conversion, have a look. And then often they came back quite quick. But if they started at FutureLearn, it was a much slower progression. So it was really interesting and helped sort of think through those ideas of, well, what does lifelong learning look like? What do people need? And it became really clear that it wasn't going to be about setting up, you know, simple, clear stepping stones where A led to B led to C. You, we, we had to do something that... Um, allow people to be really flexible and to meet them where they wanted and where they needed to be in their career. So, it, so it, one, it was very useful in that it, uh, again, we can't say, you know, it, it's correlation, not causation, because we don't get to interrogate why they did it. But what we can say is we can see them in both data sets and, and in numbers enough to not just be, um, not just be circumstance. And what we're also finding now with um, a very short time of being able to track similar data in micro-credentials, what we're actually seeing is a really promising trend of free open course, dual micro-credential, and then micro-credentials to degrees. We think that might be, um, that can possibly be a, a much more suitable stepping stone. Got it. And in part, that's um, supported by your micro-credentials being stackable so that if I've done one or two of them, I can see that there is a pathway for me towards um, a, a longer form of learning um, and a degree. De definitely, and that was what some of the research we did, and not just not just research Deacon's done but others have done, is that even though people talk about people wanting short learning, the, the, um, the value of they could lead something longer, actually one of the benefits of it, even if people don't take it up immediately. It's a little bit, I think it's future-proofing. Talking about the, the research and how stackable micro-credentials towards a, a longer um, course is clearly something that a lot of people are interested in. And now you also talked about um, how uh, Deakin's Global Studio is partly about emerging markets. And I think in there, um, I'd like to unpack with you if I can, that's uh, that's partly about um, helping Deakin take some of its uh, offerings and courses uh, offshore as well as here in Australia. So, you know, given that the government is is very focused on more diversity in our international um, education offerings, more offshore, more online. I wonder if you could share a little bit about what you're doing and maybe what you're planning for. Yeah, certainly. So when we first set up the some of the offerings we're doing around online degrees and um, the working with FutureLearn, one of the things that we were trying to test and look at was uh, international online students. Um, I think it'd be fair to say that, you know, in the Australian higher ed uh, scenario, for, for many, many universities, an international student is 
a um, is somebody in a seat at campus with a visa on on Australian soil who, who's come from somewhere else, and that's uh, that that's a sort of a quite specific view of an international student. Whereas we wanted to look to say is could we could we go the other way and take international uh, have have international students studying in their own countries and studying at Deakin. And it was really quite interesting. So we only had a few degrees on the platform. So it was very much uh, enabled us to to test out what might be some of the attractants to people wanting to do that, but what might also be some of the the barriers. And some of this work um, obviously got sidetracked uh, and sidestepped during COVID when Everything went online, and <laughs> the whole the whole idea of international students obviously completely changed, sort of almost overnight. But what is really quite interesting is there's still very much a perception that uh, you know international students want to come to Australia, and that there isn't that international online market. And I think that's what is really starting to get explored now is that growing demand for people who want to study. And I think especially at postgraduate level who want who want that degree but don't necessarily, because they already have a job or they already have a family or for whatever reason, don't necessarily want to go to another country. So starting to see some models emerge of study study online in your own country, then maybe shorter visits to to Australia. Uh, There's a whole sort of that whole flex model, uh, partnerships with others overseas. But some of the work we were doing, as we said, was exploring some of the the barriers to it. And and interestingly enough, what, what we found is that as you start to unpack how we how this is all positioned it's a lot of it is caught up in the little detail and the the thing so for example if you have an international student want to make an application if they identified as international they'd be sent through to the international portal uh, to apply which would automatically then start asking them questions about visas and other things mm-hmm. so what we found is that you it wasn't it wasn't just as simple as saying, you know, you're welcome to come and study online. I mean, Deakin has uh, the ability to, you know, to two-thirds of, oh, no, sorry, I think a third of our students never set foot on campus. So we we can definitely teach online, but it's how you bring them in, how you report on them, um, how, you, how you identify them. There's a whole range of things that suddenly become quite different when there isn't that concept of this person's going to at some point be face-to-face in the university environment. So that was a lot of what we were exploring. And what's really um, great to see now is that with the new focus on T&E, they're really, these questions, again, it's a bit like micro-credentials, they're becoming a lot more mainstream. People are saying, you know, well, what would what would be the reason people might want to study at Deakin or at an Australian university? Um, I think during during COVID, uh, the government uh, pivoted from study in Australia to study with Australia mm. and did a whole big campaign. And we, um, along with other universities, we provided some of our MOOCs with free digital upgrades. And over that period, we had 250,000 people uh, from around the world come through our come through our MOOCs and again we've seen many of them now express interest in doing further with Deakin and not necessarily coming to a campus. 
Well, hats off to Austrade because I knew that that, um, oh, sorry, and the universities, of course, but but hats off to Austrade because I knew they had uh, done that uh, pivot um, during COVID and, it, you know, it seemed a really important and a, a, a good gesture to make, uh, but I hadn't fully appreciated the sheer numbers um, who had engaged with um, Australia through um, that period of time and how useful that is because it had always struck me that one of the key challenges for Australian universities in doing more online T&E was what are they offering that is different from many other universities who also have good online offerings from other countries around the world. So, so part of study with Australia just seems to work um, and then I guess you're able to build and work on your brand and um, and its resonance in in different marketplaces is that what you're starting to see yes we, we are starting to see that and and what's also been quite um, interesting in the last few years as I sort of worked in this area looking at courses and online is it's we don't always realize it in Australia but Australia really is quite a long way ahead of many other countries where the majority of them the focus is still very much on on campus mm-hmm. and Australia's had such a a long history of distance education that it's sort of built into built into Australia's DNA whereas you go to some other places and um, I remember travelling around the UK um, about five years ago and visiting universities and the number of them that were still completely reliant on printed handbooks, whereas I think in Australia many of us had already moved nearly all, you know, all our all our student materials and content in, into LMSs. There was still, there's still quite a different mindset and it was quite fascinating. You know, I always came back from that thinking that, you know, I didn't think, that how how far advanced Australia was in general in that sort of digital and, and distance education. And I think that's been a real help as the world's, you know, pivoted much more to online learning. Because again, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen governments around the world who previously uh, had had rulings, you know, that you could, they wouldn't accept online degrees mm-hmm. uh, for qualifications and now accept not only accepting them, uh, but but embracing them and saying, you know, online degrees, we because we need that <laughs> to then actually meet meet the demand for for education. So it's it's actually been fascinating seeing the growth in both short form, um, digital and and distance all sort of coming together over the last few years. Oh, Wendy, it's a lovely optimistic conversation, this one, because I sort of worry about, uh, you know, the the growth in um, online-only universities and colleges um, out of the US and elsewhere and think, oh, you know, worry, will we be left behind? But how reassuring that, particularly, I think, for a university like Deakin with its long history of remote learning and and more recently um, digital and online. Um, How wonderfully reassuring to reframe that in the experience of other institutions around the world. So um, that's a a very positive uh, note for you to be be sharing with us, I think. Oh, look, very much so. And uh, again, as I said, uh, having had the opportunity to not just sort of work in 
collaborative projects sort of across Australia and work with other Australian universities, but also working overseas, it really is, uh, it, it, it really does become apparent that many people acknowledge it also externally that Australia sort of lead in this digital in this digital space and in some of these innovative ways of learning. Uh, you know, it, it helps that we don't necessarily always have, you know, 400, 500 years of tradition holding us back as well. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed, we don't. And that's absolutely true. And it also helps to have uh, people, and you spoke earlier about um, Professor Beverly Oliver, it helps to have some great people like that who've really made uh, such an impact on not just institutions, not just the country, but actually uh, made a global, um, uh, you know, impact uh, in this kind of area. So, um, Wendy, it has been a great pleasure uh, to pick your brains and learn more about what you're doing. And I look forward to seeing um, more of what you do as you continue to roll out and grow um, a global studio, a Deacon's Global Studio. Thank you very much for making time to talk with me today. Thank you for the opportunity to share. It's been lovely.